flag for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. Welcome back. It's the FSS Plus Podcast. Jason Churchill, Joe Doyle. We're less than three weeks. Pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training. Amateur baseball gets uh, gets underway in mass in, in about three weeks as well, highlighted by uh, the college season kicking off uh, the 2024 campaign. JUCOs are getting started this week and next week, I believe, which means there's going to be a lot of draft talk coming your way, including in this episode of the show uh mr doyle how the hell are you what's new man i'm good man i i've been on a couple podcasts this week and um they've asked me hey man are you are you enjoying the winter are you enjoying the off season are you enjoying taking some time away from the game and i said guys (laughs) (laughs) this is this is not my time of the year (laughs) i haven't stopped writing in months so I am excited for baseball, like actual watchable baseball to get going because I'm pretty tired of watching film exclusively. So, uh, quick question for you. This is non-sport. Are, are you much of a TV guy, a, a movie guy at home? What, like, Do you and the missus sit down and you, you catch a show, you, you you wait for the new episode to come out? Do you have anything? You know, I'm curious what you're watching right now. That's one thing we haven't done or that you and I haven't done yeah. is – is go non-baseball a whole lot. We, we talked a little bit of college football because of your, your Washington State affiliation and, and the whole Pac-12 thing. But you know much of a TV guy? You catching anything on the TV right now? Because that's the winter stuff for me. Yeah, we try and flip something on during dinner. We'll, we'll usually watch an episode or two of, of something that's easy to digest, you know, mm-hmm. like The Office or, or we'll rewatch Schitt's Creek. Um, I think... One of our favorite shows, I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, whoever's listening, but um, Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix is just so he's the, he's the executive producer of Everybody Loves Raymond. He ended up marrying uh, Raymond's wife from the show. Okay. And he's just this really weird, long, gangly dork <laughs> that travels all over the world and, and tries food from cultures that he never would have otherwise. It's a great feel good. You cannot leave that show without feeling good. Mm-hmm. So if you're that's looking awesome. for something that's easy, 20 minutes an episode. Need more stuff like that. Need more stuff like that. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, a friend of mine asked me the other day, uh, she's a nurse. So she works in in trauma at ER and, and stuff like that. So it can get pretty rough. Just, you know, the job is pretty rough. and And then there's some quote-unquote office politics going on at her hospital right now and she was like dude i need something light easy to digest and feel good just like what you were saying and i was like something new or do you want to go back to something you've already seen she was like something new and i was like have you seen shrinking on apple tv plus so i'll ask you have you seen shrinking joe have you seen that i have not um i've seen i've seen an ad for that and i we actually thought about giving it a go but do you have this barrier jason where if it's if there's more than one season of a show, it's like I don't have time for that. I cannot no, start I, anything new. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. Okay. If it's if it's uh, if it's not newish, and there's only one season, 
eh, I don't want to invest in one season. I want to really? invest in something that continues. Yeah, I'd like something that's three or four or five seasons because if I like it, I'm going to want more of it. So I don't want to watch something really like it and be like, there's only one season. You know, I'll out of here. Well, I got two, two other things really quick. If you haven't seen what we do in the shadows, it's one of the greatest television shows have, ever. Put I have. It's, it is very entertaining. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. not really a happy-go-lucky show, but we tried to rewatch Dexter like mm-hmm. a year ago. Mm-hmm. And all of those shows you know, Breaking Bad and to a lesser extent, like Game of Thrones. Sure. They've all aged quite well. Dexter, we thought was awful. A second really? Ago. Really? Awful. So I'm a huge Dexter fan. Um, I do have to spread out when I rewatch it, but I rewatched it probably three times since it ended. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of seasons, especially at the end, that are not good. But the first like four seasons, like, dude, yeah. Dude, that's like, what I thought too. I watched the first season with her like a year ago and we were like, this is terribly shot. It's horrible quality. The acting is bad. The special effects. There's an episode at the very beginning of season one, but this is getting a little long winded where they find a hand in a truck and it doesn't even oh. look like a hand. It looks like right. rubber. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, Oh my God. It kind of dates the show. It, it kind of dates the show a little bit. It's not as it recent does. as some people think it is. Yeah. It so, feels when they like started it is that, though, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not 30 years old or anything. It's from the two, it's from the, the 2000. I think it started like in what I want to say old. like two, I want to say it started in like 2007 or something like that. Yeah. So it's getting up there. Yeah. And when they, and when they start shows in general, that first season can seem cheap. I mean, go yeah. back and like, if you're, if you're a fan of the office or you're a fan of uh, uh, friends, even you go back and watch the pilot of friends and it's like, these are poor people. These are, you know, like these yeah. are all people that are, that are really, really super struggling. And then all of a sudden you see episode two and it's like, oh, they all got new jobs. Like, like what's yeah. going on? They, all well, got they great started, they started ordering a venti. They got an extra <laughs> shot of coffee in there, like an extra exactly. shot of Some, flavor. So maybe that's what I'm with Dexter a little bit, but yeah, I'm a fan of that. Uh, I'm a fan of that genre in general. Uh, there's just not a lot of good shows like that. But uh, I started to watch True Detective, the latest season of True Detective. It's up in Alaska. It's got Jodie Foster. I don't know if you've watched any of the True Detective. I love Jodie Foster. Like she's great. Um, and she's doing it in this. This It's two episodes in and I'm 50-50 on it. It's like uh, I'm still engaged enough to keep going. Uh, but this is why I don't like when those streaming services – you know, they dole it out one episode a week for like 10 weeks or whatever. It's like, give me four episodes at once and then yeah. go week to week if you want. Like, I totally get what they're trying to do, but I'm kind of 50-50 on that. So. Last point, know. really quick. I think there's two types of people in the world. And I, I don't know what side of this you're going to fall on. There's the people that like, I think you should leave. And there's the people that don't like, I think you should leave on Netflix. Have you watched it with Tim Robinson? No. No, I have not. Okay. It's a skit show. I have not. Okay. I have not seen that. No, I have not. There's three or four skits per episode. Episodes are 17 minutes long. If you like it, you're immature and dumb like me. Well, there's almost no chance I don't fall in that category. (laughs) It's so funny. It is so good. I'm the most immature immature old person on earth. (laughs) Give that a ride. Just episode one. And you'll okay. fly through all five seasons in about four hours. Excellent. Excellent. I like stuff like that. I'm a big sitcom guy too. So I find, um, 
I find rewatching sitcoms like you were talking about earlier very, very easy thing to do. So, all right, let's get back to baseball. Uh, today's agenda. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to roll through your top 10, Joe Doyle, your overall top 10 for 2024. We're going to go through player for player, 10 players. And I'm going to ask you if there's a question that player needs to answer this season. We're just a couple of weeks away from getting this going. Uh, it's a very college-heavy class. But I think, you know, you, you kind of – I always think of, like, where did this class start? Like, we get closer to the draft. It's like, where did this class start? Where where were these rankings? And what was the consensus on this player in January, February, before everything got – and then we get to June, and it's like, look how things have changed. And a lot of times it's one or two little things for a player that make all the difference. Uh, so we'll go, we'll get to that. We'll start out with that. And then there's, I'm fascinated Joe with uh, player development and scouting as you are too, of course, but there's an aspect of that, an element of that where it, it's, it's growing on me more year to year. You get a lot of players. I mean, sometimes a player comes in like an Adley Rutschman or a, a Gunnar Anderson or Julio Rodriguez, and they pretty much perform right away. Okay. Like if they get an extended look more than a few games here and like they perform right away, top prospects, they come in there. Sometimes that doesn't happen though. And sometimes even, you know, that first extended look, they really struggle. And there's quite a few players like that. And I've been looking at it from one angle, but I want to touch on in today's episode, if there are some young players, young unestablished players that were fairly highly, you know, thought of prospects that were bigger names, not necessarily top 10, but top 100 types who've come into the league and struggled that you still like and you still like see um, big things for. Um, and that could be someone that debuted in 2023 or somebody that debuted in 2022, um, but hasn't established themselves much, ha hasn't really played well. Um, I have a, a batted ball data angle on this. So we'll dive into that a little bit later as well. And if we have some time, we'll talk about Blake Snell because um, Blake Snell inexplicably to me is still a free agent, but there's a couple of interesting angles on that. One being why he's still a free agent and two being who's being linked to him still. There are two teams in that group that are actually surprised. So we have some time at the end. We'll dive into Blake Snell. Otherwise we'll, uh, we'll do that next week if he's still uh, unsigned and I have a feeling he will be. All right. If you missed it, if you don't visit futurestarseries.com every day and you should, um, head there now. Check out Joe Doyle's latest update on the 2026 MLB draft class. It's a top 100 high school prospect rankings update. And Joe, one of the things we like to do with the draft always every single year is check on the quality of a class, the depth of the class, the strength of the class, and compare it to previous classes. Well, if we're thinking about 2026, the, the previous classes are 2025 and 2024 and 2024 is the, the draft upon us. That's the class we're going to be talking about for the next five or six months. Um, it, it's early, but typically you can get a decent idea. History will tell us you can get a decent idea two, two and a half years out. So how good in your opinion right now is this 26 class, particularly compared to 24 and 25 as we look forward? Yeah, one of my motivations toward putting this 18,000 word behemoth out 30 months in advance 
uh, was because I'm just, uh, you know, you get a little bit of fatigue writing about players that you've watched for 18 to 24 months. And sometimes you just want a fresh look, right? I think when we look at the 2026 class, and I recognize that it's a long ways away, it's probably going to be the best position player class for high schoolers uh, since 2023. The 2024, it's got some guys, but I think most would agree that it's a little thin. 2025 is kind of of the same ilk. Like there's some there's some guys at the top of 2025 that I'm pretty excited about, but you quickly kind of run out of depth in terms of guys at the top. Now, we're a long ways out from that draft too, and and certainly you just kind of go through the cycle and you see who, you know, who surfaces. 2026 I think is different because there's a lot of guys at the top of that class that our shortstops, our physical third basemen, our outfielders that can really run and they're performing already and they're testing athletically really nicely. So I'm excited for 2026. It's why I wanted to write about it. I think there's some guys that should be put on people's radars right away. And um, so, yeah, I think I think it's going to be the best class we've seen since the, you know, it's gonna, it should be on par with 2023 and 2021, I think. Mm. So good, strong classes. So better than 25 better than 24. So talk to me a little more about 25, if we could. Um, 24 looking better than 25 right now. It sounded like that's what you were kind of getting at there is that 25 might be the lighter of the three classes that are in front of us. I, you know, so here's the thing that I look at with 25. I think 25 has a surefire top of the class high school pitcher in the same vein as like Dylan Lesko from 2023 and Seth Hernandez. I'm going to see him in a week uh, for the second time. I'm very excited for that. And then, you know, Jackson Holiday's brother is in 2025, but I think most people agree he's definitely a third baseman. Mm -hmm. And then besides that, when you look at 25, like you have a hard time circling the prototype center field and shortstop types. And I think we're just kind of light on that in general over the last couple of years. Like you got the big banging you know, Quentin Young, Xavier Nyans, who's from our neck of the woods, like you've got those guys. And then you have some really interesting shortstops who might move off the position in case in Cunningham and, uh, you know, Coy James might move to third base. But I, I think my point is that I'm the point I'm trying to make is those up the middle players, we've been anemic in 2024, and it might be in an, another anemic year in 25. Now, mm-hmm. I love Anthony Pack. He's going to be a 2025, but he's five foot ten. Um, sure. Dean Moss is five, uh, six foot, so maybe he surfaces. But I don't know. My point. I'm getting a little long winded. My point is, um, yeah, I just I, we're we're having trouble circling at this stage, middle of the diamond, like organizational anchor types, and we saw so many of them mm-hmm. in 2021 and to a lesser extent 2022. What's uh? Let, let's stay on the high school thing really quick before we uh we move on to uh, this year's class. That top one hundred twenty twenty six top one hundred. Uh, in reading about those players and 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 seeing you know in in one of your earlier updates on the on the overall classes, uh, it it sent me looking for some basic data. And one of the things I thought was most interesting about the the draft in twenty three was only 18% of the players taken were high school players. 
Now that's a trend. Like that's been trending in that direction. That's a really low percentage. Cause you look back 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you know, we're talking 30%, 40%. There were drafts in from, you know, first decade, the, the draft started in the sixties through the nineties and the early two thousands where, where there were more high school players taken than college mm -hmm. players. And that just hasn't been the case for a little while now. And it's been trending down um, pretty steadily uh, big picture wise the last, you know, five to 10 years. Um, might we get a trend up in the next couple of years when it comes to the prep kids um, 24 uh, starting with 24, or is that probably still going to stay that way for, for a little bit? I mean, I don't mean, get back to 40, 50%. I just mean, are, can we move up five to 10% from, from that 18% mark over the next yeah. year or two? Yeah. We've been like 18 to 22% for quite a while now. I don't know, man. I think the introduction of the bonus pool system ultimately like muted the ability to pull in a lot of these high school guys and mm -hmm. with more and more agencies gaining notoriety and NIL deals starting to really you know spark in sports other than football there's opportunities to make money in college athletics and in amateur athletics in high school for that matter um, that didn't exist 10 years ago so i i think we're probably never going to see it higher than 25 percent again i would be frankly pretty surprised and um so to answer your question 18 was low but i do think we're probably going to regulate closer to 22 or 23. yeah yeah interesting um, another uh, factor there, I think, is colleges move quicker when it comes to let's make a change in how we develop players. Let's mm -hmm. make a change in how we help players much, much quicker. Organizations tend to be like, well, they have the same GM, so that's not changing. That's typically how that works. Once the GM, like, I'm not going to say anything about the Yankees and how they develop players, but you're probably not going to get a drastic change as long as Brian Cashman's around good or bad, whether they're good at it or bad at it, it's not going to change very much as long as Cashman is around. Once that changes, then anything, anything goes, but in college, that's different one, because they change coaches a little more often than, than teams generally change GMs. And there's so much more competition. You have to be agile when it comes to that. You think of a team like, like if I tell you, if you're a high school pitcher, Joe, Name the first two or three schools that come come into uh, your head when you think about de developing players, developing pitchers in particular. There's probably two or three schools that stand out the yeah. most, right? Yeah, Wake Forest, Georgia, Wake. and Santa Barbara. Sure. Yep. Wake is the first one I think of too, just because they're yeah. they're probably the, the most famous for it. Arkansas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. It, Teams like that are developing that reputation where 10, 15 years ago, that was not the case. It was, you know, but now we're starting to see in the last five, six years, college pitching coaches getting pro jobs, getting major league jobs. That's happened a few times. That wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago either. I know the twins did that. What about maybe five years ago? Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. So there's a, there's a lot of benefit to these kids going to, uh, to college that wasn't there. And obviously it starts with the bonus pool. Um, like you mentioned. All right. The 2024 draft. Uh, we're about what? We're about five and a half months away, something like that. But scouts, when you when you talk to area scouts and even cross checkers and and certainly scouting directors, sometimes only if you push them, they they kind of draw this mental outline of the the spring and, and some of the players they're gonna see. Uh, but they'll even admit if you if you press them that there are things about players they'd like to be more sure of 
or that they're not sure about it all, or that's the big, uh, the big question mark. And there's an entire season in front of us now. We may get answers to those questions. So I want to pick your brain. I'm going to use, Joe, your top 10 from uh, the latest in your 2024 overall class rankings, I believe was October 26. I'm pretty sure we're going to get an update there at some point relatively soon with the uh, the amateur season starting. But your top 10, we're going to go one by one, if you don't mind, through your top 10 from then. And I want you to tell me what the question is about that player that you think needs to be answered or that you'd like to see um, answered. And again, it's at least to start the season, these rankings will change, but these players are going to be um, uh, in that mix. So again, I'm pulling up your latest 2024 top 300 from late October. So if you're you're listening and, and, and you're, you're near a computer, you have your phone and you want to pull it up and, and roll along with us, you can find that in the, uh, in the MLB draft drop down menu. Click on the 2024 top 300 uh, and follow along with us. So let's start with your top prospect. And I don't imagine this has necessarily changed. JJ Weatherholt, the infielder at West Virginia, left handed bat, probably lands at third base. There's some comps that I've been getting lately. I somebody asked me the other day, what do you think of a Matt Carpenter comp for Weatherhold? I'm like, okay, I see that a little bit. But is there something about Weatherhold's game? Something that maybe he hasn't exactly done or proven, a question that he needs answered that he hasn't his first couple of years at West Virginia that you, Joe Doyle, would like to see from him in 2024. Well, I think the thing with Weatherhold is everything is it was so good last year it's not really a question for me of what does he have to prove it's it's i mean it's kind of along the same vein it's what does he have to prove to show that he's the number one pick because right now if he repeats what he did last year there's no doubt that he doesn't make it out of the top three picks top five picks weatherholt's going to play shortstop this year at west virginia and he hasn't done that in a full-time capacity and it's going to be an opportunity for him to kind of showcase his athleticism and even if he's a 45 defender at shortstop projecting out, that goes a long ways toward, you know, uh, adding value to the profile. I would mm -hmm. say this. Inter when you look at the data, like the contact rate is sky high. The chase rate is healthy. He makes contact with everything out of the zone, in the zone. He hits velocity. He hits spin. I think if, there was, if there's one thing that J.J. Weatherholt could do to up his stock a little bit, it would be increase his max exit velo this year it's only 109 last year which is largely just average mm -hmm. and i think if you're talking about giving someone eight million bucks to be the number one pick in the draft mm -hmm. you'd like to see a little bit more impact projection and that's something that he's always going to fight being a you know five foot ten inch infielder how much does his ceiling and floor in terms of of his draft stock change if i if i change some some facts about him like let's say right now the idea is that okay he's gonna play shortstop in college but the idea is that he can be at least an average defender at second base if i tell you that's the truth that's the fact i imagine number one pick i imagine that's 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 the ceiling and the floor is like three to five like you were just saying but what if i told you he's not a second baseman what if i just change the the evidence that we have and say this is the consensus on him that he's a third baseman now. Doesn't that drop him down quite a bit? I don't know if it drops him down quite a bit. I mean, you're still talking about a guy that projects to hit 290, 295 with 
you know, 22 to 25 homers and doesn't strike out and he's a plus runner. Like, I think you're still talking about a four win player, a four and a half win player at the next level. But I think if you move him to third base, what it does is it probably opens up the conversation more to, well, wouldn't we maybe just rather have the six foot five inch, 230 pound first baseman and Nick Kurtz who has the same level of production and way more raw power. Um, Or it also opens up the question, you know, you automatically start going down down the list. Like what about Travis Bazana? He's six one. He plays Mm -hmm. second base. He's got similar metrics. So yeah, if you if you project him out as a third baseman and you think he's no better than a 45 at either spot up the middle of the field, it might drop him down a couple of spots, but he's still such a tier above the fourth guy on the list that I can't imagine he'd go past five. Would the let me put it this way and then we'll move on to number 2. Uh, if I told you that he was a third baseman, uh, what does that do to his percent chances to be the number one player on your board come draft day? Like if it's 80% now, you think, how far down that percentage scale does he fall? I mean, it's such a toss-up. Like it, it, he probably falls to like 33% of yeah. being the number one guy because mm-hmm. you want a player that's up the middle with the first pick. And if you're not taking a guy that's up the middle, you want the loudest offensive tools you can right. possibly find right um so it may just be more yeah. with Weatherhold. it may just be more any question that he has to answer may just be more about being number one than anything else it, yeah without question yeah like I, I there's there's no if he repeats what he did last year there is no universe where he falls out of the top five or maybe six picks right it's a super super high floor yeah he's a fun player to watch because there's nothing that he can't do yeah. Like he's not necessarily plus plus at everything, but there's nothing that he can't do. He's like uh, you, Brooks Lee. If Brooks Lee had a little bit of twitch, like that's the kind of yeah. Per, yeah. like the, the same type of player. And Brooks Lee is one of the better prospects in baseball right now for the twins. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Nick Kurtz, lefty matching first baseman, Wake Forest, big, strong dude. Uh, what is that? 70 power at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There doesn't seem to be much of a concern even really with the hit tool, um, and maybe the only reason he's not the number one prospect is because he is restricted to first base and teams do want that up the middle kind of impact if they can get it. But what's the one thing you want to see from Kurtz in 2024 for him to at least maintain his his status? You know, he's number two for you in your latest update. Yeah, I think for Nick, he is always going to fight an uphill battle being a first baseman. We've seen first baseman drafted at the top of drafts. You know, I put out a tweet about it. A lot of them just have not provided the value that you want because it's it's all bat, right? If mm-hmm. if there's no bat, there's very little value. I think with Kurtz, it's it's seventy power, it's a left-handed swing, it's tons of bat speed. Uh, I think the question with him would probably be just the the simple bat to ball. Like mm-hmm. his bat to ball numbers last year were solid average, but if you kind of nail down the in zone and out of zone contact rates, it's more average. So. I think as you project out, Kurtz probably looks like a, you know, a 255 hitter with reasonably high walk rates and you know you're 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 buying a guy that's going to hit 30 homers, so 250 and 30 is yeah. I don't see that especially from the left side. I don't I don't see that falling out of the top 5 or 6 picks either. And if you're talking about 70 raw power, you're talking about a guy who 30 home runs is probably a given in a full season. If he's hitting 250, 30 is probably a given, maybe 40, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the ceiling there. I think the ceiling is something of a Matt Olson. Matt Olson's Matt Olson. hit tool has come Matt along. Olson. Yeah, 
a ton in professional ball. And I don't really know, like, I don't think the floor is like Pedro Alvarez. I think that's a little skim, but mm-hmm. you're in, you're somewhere in, in that, in that ballpark. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so Nick Kurtz, number two, number three is Travis Bazan the infielder at Oregon state. I'll say this as I start to text people about the, the draft, I don't stay on this like you do year round. But when I start to ask around the country about players, I get more high confidence replies from area guys and even checkers a little bit on Bazana than anyone else right now. More than Weatherholt, more than Kurtz, more than some of the other guys we're going to talk about here in the top 10. Um, they just feel better about Bazana than some of the other guys. What's the biggest question on the OSU star for you right now? Yeah, for well, following up on what you said, this dude is an 80 makeup. Like, uh, and that's probably why. And that's probably why yeah. the confidence is really high that he's going to max out. Yeah. yeah, insatiable appetite for developing and getting better and helping those around him get better. Um, just incredibly impressive. And frankly, if I had the first pick in the draft right now, despite what my board says, I would take Travis Bazana. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be compared against Weatherhole all year. But the thing with Bazana, he's six foot one. He's got two or three inches on on uh, JJ. And I think he's going to be at least an average glove, maybe above average at second. So I know that you threw up, you know, a lot of Chase Utley in that swing. Mm-hmm. at some point in November, December. And I, you know, it's hard to disagree what Travis needs to do this year. It's pretty simple. Um, a lot of the same metrics as, as JJ, but his contact rate against fastballs, 92% or faster was only 80%, which is, mm. it's not, that's not good. It's not even above average. That's, you know, fringy, I would say. Mm-hmm. So if he hits the fastball a little bit more this year, brings his strikeouts down. I mean, strikeouts are really healthy, but if he brings his strikeouts down a little bit and hits the fastball, I think there's a very good chance he's the number one pick. Interesting. Yeah, that, that guy would be fun to watch. I was actually looking in because I'm I'm in the Northwest. Well, when's the first time I'm I'm going down to Corvallis? <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking I might actually get a chance to do some uh some college baseball damage in uh in Arizona as well. I think Oregon makes a trip down there while I'm down there for spring training. Uh Travis Bazana number three. Uh after that, uh you get the Georgia outfielder here. Um, I've heard his name pronounced two ways, Condon and Condone. I'm saying Condon. 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 I've heard Condone, but I, and, I, and I love Condone. <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that somebody would call him Charlie Flair Condone. for the French. It's amazing. <laughs> but it's Charlie Condon. Uh, this is a big dude, right? We're talking about a 6'5", 6'6", right-handed hitter. Really came on last year with 25 bombs, like a 480 OBP. What's the what's the big question for Condone that he that he can answer? <laughs> some of these some of these guys are going to have question marks they can't answer. We're going to get to that uh, in a couple of players here that they really can't answer. There's nothing they can do about it. What can Condon do to answer a question or two? Yeah. So talking about the last three guys, there those guys all really had like one like one red flag, if you even want to call it that, like a question mark. Now we're getting into the guys that it's like, okay, there's a couple of things that we need to see to justify where we're going to select you. Condon played first base and DH'd a lot last year. He didn't have a ton of time out in the outfield, did play some right field. He's gotten some run in center field in the fall. So he has to prove that he's an outfielder through and through. Even if he's a right fielder, Charlie Condon has to prove that he belongs out there. But other than that, this is another guy with 70 raw power. The barrels are consistent and huge. The max exit velos are enormous. Um, but just general polish around the hit tool. It's, mm-hmm. it's a guy that's only played one year. 
of college baseball. He did not play in 2022. So let's see the contact rate come up a little bit. Definitely see the chase rate come down a little bit and just improve his overall approach and bat to ball metrics. So pretty firmly in the top 10, you had him at number four in that, in that update. So even though he, there's, even though he's, there's a chance that, that he's a right, right first baseman. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I was going to say is if he is a right, right first baseman, instead of, you know, Weatherholt falling from one to three, now we're starting to talk about a guy who falls from four to maybe nine or 10 if he is a right, right first baseman. So uh, with the current performance metrics that we have and, and everything we know about Charlie Condon. So bigger question marks to answer here. So that's four players and we've they've all been college bats. Yep. And right now we're going to move to the to the mound for the first time, but it is a college guy. It's it's Wake righty Chase Burns who has some pretty special special excuse me fastball slider combination. That's pretty special stuff there. What's the big thing for Burns? I think with Burns, you know, I'm high on Burns. He's been up to 102 this fall, like on a on a stalker gun. He's throwing 93 mile an hour sliders. I mean, this is just the most elite stuff with Chase. You want to see him, you know, take the ball. You want to see him go six. You want to see him put in 15 starts, you know, log his 80 innings and just limit the walks. Um, it's just, he's not a, you know, he's not a prototype tried and true built in the lab starting pitcher yet. He's bounced between rotation roles and bullpen roles. But if he's throwing strikes with even just those two pitches, he's got a curveball and changeup too. But if he's throwing strikes with those two pitches and, you know, throwing 90 pitch five and a third, uh, you know, outings, I think he's going to go in the top 10. Yeah. Some team's going to get a hold of that and stretch him out another inning after that. They'll, they'll figure out a way. I think this is a good opportunity to bring up the, uh, what I was just thinking about as you were talking there, there's, there's the traditionally we talk about starters need three pitches. Now the special guys on occasion, historically, have gotten away with two. Randy Johnson had the fastball on the slider and didn't even add the splitter until he was like 37 years old. Um, uh, Kurt Schilling was a fastball splitter guy. Really didn't throw much, much else. We talked about Mario Rivera throwing just the cutter um, uh, in a relief role. The, the whole third pitch thing is is a is a fallacy in in one way. You don't need a third pitch. You need a way to deal with everybody. You need a way to. You know, deal with the if you're a right-handed pitcher, you need to, need a way to deal with the left-handed, especially the left-handed power guy. You need to, need a way to get him out, a way to get him to swing and miss a little bit, just a way to consistently deal with that. If you can do that with your fastball and slider, you don't need the changeup, right? Like, yeah. and and maybe some guys develop two different fastballs or they vary their breaking ball, and that's that's kind of what the uh, the newfangled uh, approach to this is. Is Burns just power? Power is it? you know, 96 to 100 plus with the, with a four seamer. It's just one fastball, not that it's not great, and and one slider that's 90 to 93 miles an hour. Or is are there some variations that we've seen from those pitches where it could give a hitter a different look, particularly a lefty? Yeah, no, I mean, he, he threw some pretty good 90 mile an hour changeups uh, at Tennessee. I haven't seen much this fall of it. So it's there. He just And the curveball is there. Yeah, the thing is, like in college baseball, how many times are you going to see a hitter where you need to flash a third pitch? Yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, there's so many guys that aren't destined for the next level that don't have the bat speed to catch up with a hundred in the first place. Why, why not throw it if you can throw it on the rail? Yeah. 
yeah, you're not trying to, to you're trying to get outs, you know, right. essentially. So quickly, yeah, so. you want to pitch seven or eight innings. What's the floor on Burns? Top ten somewhere, bottom of the top ten, probably the floor. No, I think he could fall further than that. I think if he shows that um, he's a reliever, I think you could see Burns in the twenty to thirty range. But wow! So let's go back for a second. There's then. a lot of that in this class. Is is this is this consistent strike throwing? Is that Burns' big thing then? Just consistent strike throwing, so he can go six. Yeah, yeah, it's strike throwing, and he doesn't even limit walks, or he, or I should say, he doesn't even walk people. It's just. What I've noticed in watching Chase Burns film is when he gets in trouble, when he does walk a guy or when he does give up a hit, things just seem to spiral a little bit. It, you know, he gets in, in the stretch or uh, yeah, he gets in the stretch and he'll just start walking guys or he'll just start surrendering middle, middle fastballs. So he just has to prove that he's a starting pitcher. And I know that that's not like the most scientific thing of me to say, but sometimes it's that basic. That, sometimes Absolutely. it's that basic. If he's, if he's Matt Brash, he's Matt Brash, but mm. it's I funny. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to bring that up. Um, well, he's transferred to the right school. We just mentioned, I would Wake say Forest. <laughs> Wake Forest is one of those, one of those places. Uh, okay. So there's Chase Burns. Uh, Mike Sirota is a really interesting kind of case study uh, for this kind of a question. Uh, Northeastern outfielder, uh, good athlete, right? Right-handed stick. I believe he's from Queens. I think that's a note I made. Um, and this one may seem obvious on the surface, Joe, and that that Sirota's competition isn't exactly stellar, but that also means it's not a question he can really answer this year. He's not all of a sudden going to play an SEC schedule or anything. So considering that, what's the what's the go-to question mark that Sirota actually has an opportunity to to kind of answer to, to to answer the bell with? Yeah, I think Sirota has to get off to a hot start. Last year, he he had a phenomenal year but he got off to a really uh slow start and you know he's he's a guy and having talked to him that i think pays attention a little bit to the boards and to what people are saying about him he he needs to stay in his lane he needs to do what he does because i think mike sirota has of all the guys on this list uh, five tool potential that i think will play he doesn't chase outside of the zone he's got above average draw power the bats a ball skill, like the bats a ball metrics, the, the whiff rates I think will come down this year just because he'll get a hotter start. I think the biggest thing with Mike is, and unfortunately this is the way things go playing at Northeastern, you know, go win Northeastern player of the year by a landslide. Yeah, That's all you can really do. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have a lot of what you would call big time, um, um, you know, kind of power five, top 25 type uh, type matchups. I do think they open at Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have uh, they have a midweek, you know, game at Georgia Tech. So they're not going to face a Friday starter there. But then it's, you know, it's a bunch of, you know, Mercer, Old Dominion, yeah. Rhode Island, Hofstra, stuff like that. And I thought those aren't, you know, good baseball schools because there's a lot of good baseball in there. Elon has a really good track record. But that just means he's the, that the rung of talent he's facing, you know, and, it, and it's and that makes it a little bit more difficult to scout him as well. It's not as easy. It can be done. And and we've seen smaller school guys go high and perform mm-hmm. at the big league level. I just mentioned Mercer. Kyle Lewis was a Mercer kid 2016, you know, and he's pretty much out of baseball now, but that's injury related. We know he was going to perform because he did. Yeah. He was rookie of the year in 2020 and he's out of Mercer. So you can scout those players, but uh Sirota's kind of, it's interesting that you say he just kind of needs to fo- just stay in his lane and kind of do his thing and not really worry ball. about it. 
Yeah, you know, a guy that I think of, and actually, ironically, I think Kyle Lewis and Mike Sirota kind of have some similarities in their swing. Um, and I actually comped a swing to Mitch Haniger. Maybe I'm awful at this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the guy that comes to mind for me, you mentioned the Arizona matchup. Mm-hmm. In 2022, I had Chase DeLauder as the number one player in the 2022 draft in January with yeah. seven months to go, six months to go. And he opened up the second weekend of the year. So not open, but basically uh, against three games against Florida State. He mm-hmm. had Bryce Hubbard. He had Parker Messick. And he had, I'm trying to remember the other one. Anyways, he had three dudes, like three top 100 pick guys. And he went, I believe he went two for 14 with two singles and nine strikeouts. And the entire industry wrote him off because it was kind of a divisive swing, like a Kyle Tucker-esque swing. And I said, you know, this guy just hit 390 on the Cape. He just hit 400 the year before that. He's a 2020 guy. Why are we doing this? Enough of that noise pushed him down to like number nine on my board by the time the the draft rolled around and he broke his foot. So he lost some time that year. But it, it points to the fact that those opportunities when scouting directors are specifically traveling to see you because they're not going to have many opportunities to see you against good arms. You got to perform. You got to make a good impression. So that's going to be a key. And DeLauder ended up going 16 to the Cleveland guardians in the 2022 draft. Um, and he's, uh, I don't know, he's been fine. He's been uh, performed really well he's, at high a and, and he's been uh, hurt and moved but he's, up, but when he's yeah. been on the field, he's, he's performed. So he just got to get he in the line. But yeah. just to, just to show, you know how it's a shorter season too. Like a lot of times, people think of if the draft isn't necessarily in, in amateur baseball isn't necessarily a thing that you follow real closely on a regular basis. You don't watch it. You don't find the ESPN games and the Big Ten Network games and and the CBS you know Sports Network games and stuff like that. It's a shorter season. We're not talking about a hundred and sixty game season. We're not even talking about a hundred game season. So no. uh, we're talking sixty ish games depending on the school and depending on how deep they go into the to the postseason if they make it. So there's less of a you know there's there's certainly a light on these guys and uh, um, Sorota. Does Sorota fall into that category where he just can't miss an opportunity like that? Is that was that the point you were making there that I missed? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what I'm alluding to, and especially with the fact that he's only six foot two, he's right-handed, he's not a special defender in in center field. Like, yeah. I still think Mike Sorota is going to go in the top ten because I think he checks a ton of boxes. Yeah. But there's certainly a a universe where he falls into the twenty to thirty range as well. Yeah, interesting. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, so now I know how to pronounce this cat's name, but it doesn't make any sense. Okay, and I know you know who I'm getting at. We're talking about Florida. He's a two-way guy. It's it's Jack Caglione. Why is it not Caglionun? I don't. You're asking the wrong guy, man. I'm Irish. Yeah, I mean, what? It's a great name, and it's J A C, not J A C K. So I love that as well. Very interesting prospect. Probably just a first baseman positionally, or, or maybe I'm, I'm stepping too far in that direction. But it's pretty big power. I think he had 33 bombs last year, and it's obviously a pretty yeah. good arm too, where he can give you value on the mound. What's kind of that missing element? What's what's the question that uh, that Caglione has to uh, Caglione has to answer here in uh, in 2024? I, I think it's just that he has to be more patient. Like I, I, he just needs to be a more polished hitter. He swung at sixty percent of the pitches last year. 
60 percent and actually while i have you on this podcast let me look at where that ranks because i have 2600 players here Mm -hmm. jack was sixth in the entire college baseball universe 60 percent do you have Um, i'm just curious why you have that pulled up do you have out of zone contact rate yeah which is kind of why he's staying where he's at he was 61.7 percent contact on pitches outside of the zone so He's got the length to get to pitches. I mean, that's not a terrible metric. It's, I would say it's probably above average in college. Yeah. But the issue is when you swing at 60% of the pitches, as you might imagine, he chased 41% of the time, which I think I have those numbers in front of me too. 41% ranked fourth in college baseball. So, but can you, can, you, can you sort the ranking of out-of-zone contact rate too? I'm, I'm curious where that ranks. Yeah, so I can because there's so many guys here, I can just give you a. The reason so I ask that is because chase chase rate is a very standard mm-hmm. uh, metric. Um, it's it's out of the strike zone the player offered at it. It's it's yes or no. It's black and white. It's up and down. It, it's that's it. It's not well if the pitch was. 12 inches off the plate, it counts this much. If the pitch was eight inches off the plate, it counts this much. So if a player is swinging at a pitch that's three inches off the plate and out of the zone, but he's hitting it and hitting it hard, I don't care. You know, and there there are players yeah. like that at, at all levels of baseball. That's why I asked. I don't think question. we're gonna talk about this guy, but that's Tommy White. I mean, Tommy White swings at everything, but he hits mm-hmm. everything and he hits it hard. So because there's so many players on here, I'll just give you the percentile. Um Caglione ranked in the 74th percentile for contact percentage on pitches out of the zone. So he swung at everything aggressively. And it was, Mm -hmm. there's no, no polish in the way that he goes to the plate, but (laughs) he did rank in the 74th percentile for making contact. So clearly he has a, a knack for actually getting to the ball. So maybe just being a little bit more hitterish instead of sluggerish is kind of what you're getting at here. What about him on the mound? Like, what is he on the mound? Is it just kind of a, uh, just kind of a relief guy mostly. Is that kind of the idea here that if he does pitch in pro ball uh, or even do some of the two-way thing that it's it's out of the bullpen? Is that the idea? I think so. Uh, he's mostly two pitches. He's been up to 101 this fall. He tightened up his elbow, spiral, jargon. He, he improved his mechanics. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit simpler to the mound. Hopefully he throws more strikes, commands the fastball a bit better, but you know, he's 96 to 98. He'll touch 101. He's got the upper 80s slider. He doesn't really have a third pitch. He does throw a changeup that's pretty fringy, and, and he doesn't really execute it yet. Maybe that comes around this spring, but I think most people would agree that his future is is probably at the plate. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it would be a waste not to at least keep him stretched out for for bullpen opportunities, at least at least in the minor leagues. It's kind of a, a reverse Michael Lorenzen, is it not? Like Lorenzen yeah. had some off, had some legitimate offensive ability when he got to pro ball, and it and, and you know he kept that around for a little bit, and then it just you know like uh, that was the way he was going to make money and be able to help teams mm-hmm. just get on the mound full time. It kind of seems like maybe it's in reverse with uh, with the Florida kid here. Um, all right, we'll move on here. Uh, North Carolina's Vance Honeycutt. Um, I've watched more video on him the last two weeks than anybody else, and mostly because. It's fun. Uh, this this is probably my personal favorite, um, just because of the way he plays. He's pretty tooled up um, for a college kid, 
how does Honeycut check the remaining boxes or box the remaining box for you this spring? What's the question here for uh, for Vance Honeycut, who originally, like a year ago now, was in the conversation for the number one overall player in this class? Yeah, yeah, and I I still think you could make the case that he's the number one player in this class. If I'm being honest, mm-hmm. um, you know he's going to play up the middle of the field. It's a six glove. It's a 55 arm, and he's at least flashed. Uh, six raw power and a good hit tool. Let me read you some numbers really quick because I think it really lays out the Vance Honeycutt story. The 2022, his true freshman year, absolutely absurd power numbers. 112 max, uh, 108 90th percentile exit velos. Chase rate was down at 15%. Didn't swing at anything, 38%. Like just, he looked like a very polished uh, hitter. He comes in last year and he just he literally flips the script upside down. His power falls considerably and all of a sudden his and I should have mentioned in 2022 his contact rate was really low, like 67%, 30 33% whiff rate. So last year he comes in 21% whiff rate. Chase rate still good, but the power just falls out of the sky. He went 25 and 25 as a true freshman. Unbelievable in the ACC. I think last year he had something like 13 homers and 18 stolen bases. Batting mm. average dropped to uh, 260. Mm. So yeah. the thing with Vance is like people just want to know what he is. Like, are you know how how polished is the bat? Can you hit? Mm. And then this the other side of that, and this is the bigger part. He has to prove that he's healthy. He's dealt with some injuries, and I won't point them out because they don't need to be said out loud. Um, he's dealt with some injuries that are are concerning to scouting departments and so proving that he can play a full season you know not miss games here and there a guy that uh, i had as a first rounder and had similar injuries in 2023 and he saw him fall down to the fourth or fifth round of the cardinals was travis honeyman ironic how it's crazy how close those two names are travis honeyman and vance honeycutt but yeah so tools are there is the durability there and just give scouts a better feel for what exactly you are. Vance Honeycutt, watching Honeycutt swing. I get a I, I get a I get a Bobby Witt Jr. vibe, dude. It's beautiful, I, isn't it? It is, man. It's like do not miss anywhere this guy can get the barrel to and he can get the barrel to a lot of places. So hopefully it cleans all that up. A uh, big uh, big Vance uh, Honeycutt fan. Uh all right, we get another picture here. Uh, the next, uh, and it's Iowa ace Brody Brecht. That's an easy 97 plus. I know he's touched triple digits. Uh, maybe there's more upside in, in him than anybody we've talked about so far. And if we ignore the one thing that I think you're going to get to as the big question, (laughs) if we ignored that, there's some Garrett Cole energy here relative to that fastball slider combination. And with Cole though, uh, there was a third plus pitch. I know uh, in 2011, we're going back quite a ways now. Cole had three plus pitches because he was throwing his changeup a lot at UCLA, and people were just swinging through it, swinging over the top of it when he went one, uh, one, one to the Pirates. But uh, there's a pretty significant obstacle in Breck's way uh, up the ladder here. Is there not? I mean, I got the number in front of me, but I'll let you say. It. <laughs> is it the is it the 20 percent walk rate? Is that yeah, what you're referencing? 61 <laughs> walks and 77 innings to use yeah. the standard traditional statistics. Far, far too many. You can see the upside here. It's huge. But yeah, you got to fill the zone a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's 1-1 one, one 
potential. If he brings that walk rate down to the seven or eight percent, it doesn't have to be special because mm-hmm. the stuff is special. Be average. Just be yeah. I mean, just be average. I think I, I personally don't see a one-one opportunity for Chase Burns. I see a one-one opportunity for for Brody Brecht. It's long. I mean, six five, six four, six five. Incredibly long, very whippy, and it's three. Very well. Let me say this: the fastball is at least at least above average. Because he hits 100, I think you could probably make the case that it's plus. It needs to perform a little bit better, mm-hmm. but he also only threw it like like 35% of the time. Right. A lot of sliders, right? Tons of sliders. Yeah, it's a 92-mile-an-hour slider with an unbelievable movement profile. This is Matt Brash at six foot five. Like That's what it is. It's Pierce Johnson. If Pierce Johnson could throw – I think that's his name. Pierce Johnson, if he could throw 110 pitches – and this guy could strike out 15 guys in a game five times this year. Wouldn't shock me at all. Right. Wow. Why are you going to mow down the Big Ten? Just get, find the zone, Brody. Just find, find the, the zone. zone. We, we got to get Brody some T-shirts. <laughs> but anybody know yeah, where Not dominate zone the zone. Just flirt with the zone. Just, just find it. I mean, that's pitching these <laughs> yeah. days too, right? Flirt with the zone. I mean, that's a T-shirt that needs to be made. Flirt with the zone and you're going to get a lot of outs. Yeah, this guy could be effectively wild. Like you said, like just just have average control of the baseball. You know, there's gonna be games where he walks four. It's mm-hmm. gonna happen. He just participated in his first fall ball ever because he was on the Iowa football team. Right. Pretty his good, entire collegiate career. Pretty good athlete. Yeah. That's a pretty good athlete. Man. Yeah. So there we go. Brody Brecht is uh is number nine with uh with the number one ceiling. Uh, with with number one pick kind of upside, we'll see uh, we'll see how that rolls in uh, in the Big Ten this year. Uh, we'll finish the top ten here with the, with Seaver King. What a great name, by the way. Uh, he's not going to wow anyone with like his size or his power production, but the physical tools are there. This suggests there's more in the tank production wise from that standpoint. But what's the question here with King? Is it position? Is it the power itself? Uh, he did hit almost 400 with high contact rates, but uh, you know I'm going to bring up that word again. Level, you know, the competition here is uh, is something to question with uh, with Seaver King until this year. Yeah, I mean, jumping from Wingate to the ACC is <laughs> quite a jump. He did mow down the Cape, so he's proven that mm-hmm. he can he can perform against the top guys. Biggest thing is going to be he's so talented and. Playing for that Wingate team, I think he just it, it he outmatched the opposition, and because of it, I think he wanted to make things happen, and he chased a lot of pitches out of the zone. And now he's at that point in his career where he's got to show that these are ACC ACC arms. Like you got to wait for your pitch. You gotta you gotta have a a mature, balanced approach at the plate. Like when you watch Seaver King play, he he has the crazy stretch and twitch of a guy like Mookie Betts. And he kind of has that same, you know, I can play second, I can play short, I can play center field. He checks all those boxes. So Seaver King is another guy that if he proves that what he was doing at Wingate and what he did at the Cape was real and it translates to any area of the of the game, he could also be the number one pick. But he's got to show some refinement in his game. Yeah, well, he's going to get that opportunity uh, in the ACC this year. Uh, you mentioned Mookie Betts. Do you get any Andrew McCutcheon energy? From uh, from a guy like Seaver King, I could see that. Yeah, they both make very very tight turns. I uh, yeah. I, I like that call. 
fast yeah. hands. Yeah, I only watched uh, maybe ten swings and a, and a couple of uh, you know between inning you know cuts of video, and I was like, there's a little there's a little McCutcheon in there, I think, in the way they move. Uh, that's your top ball. ten. He hit a ball in in fall ball, and we don't have because he played at Wingate. We don't really have track man information on Seaver King. Sure. Just mm-hmm. they don't have it hooked up. He hit a ball in Wake Forest Spring against a Wake Forest arm, 113 miles an hour for a 440 foot homer, <laughs> and he's five eleven. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that's <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Um, we're seeing um. We're seeing a lot of these guys that are 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet tall. Um, not avoid – because, you know, tradition, when you look back, 80s, 90s, it was like if you're 5'10 and 185 pounds, you're, you're automatically tagged as, well, you need to hit one or two or nine, make a lot of contact, steal some bases, hit the ball in the gap, hit the ball on the ground. That was it. Players these days <laughs> – I mean, I might be five eleven, but I might be able to hit thirty home runs too. And and guys yeah, are sure, learning Jason. how to do that. What? Oh, not what you, that? not you specifically. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just saying, like we're seeing it happen, like at the big league level. Yeah. We're seeing guys that aren't six four in in modern day baseball the last twenty years hit the ball out of the ballpark a lot more. And and it's not just sell out for the home run either. I mean. How long has McCutcheon been in the league? He's got 20 to 30 home run seasons. He's not a big dude. Um, and he's yeah. consistently made power a part of his game. We're just we're just seeing a lot of that. I mean, how big is Jose Ramirez? He's not six. How big four. is Jose Altuve? Like, yeah, and he's hitting 25, 30 home runs. He's yeah, five, it's just it's five five. Guys are learning how to create backspin. Um no matter where, no matter how tall you are, no matter how big you are, it's just bat speed and and and, and backspin. So, uh, I, I hear you talk about Seaver King, and I'm like, yeah, there's a really good chance this guy's a really good player, and that power is a part of his game. Even though I've seen a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of 45s on his power, and I'm like, um, okay, maybe that's, that's kind of where, yeah. maybe maybe that's kind of where he is right now. But you get him, you get him to wake. And you get him into pro ball, and now it's about bat speed and his ability to square it up, and there's just no way that's 45 pop. So I'm um, glad yeah. to hear you say that. Joe, I want to throw one more. That was your top 10. I want to throw one more player into this mix. Uh, and I believe this player, you had him ranked 11 overall, but it's the first prep kid on that list in your rankings, and that's um, that's Connor Griffin. He's a two-way kid from Jackson Prep in Mississippi. What boxes does that kid need to check to maybe – to maybe jump five, six, seven, eight spots because this is a kid with big time power and he's a good athlete. Yeah, he might be the best athlete in the class. Um, 6'4", 60 runner, can play shortstop, can play center field. He was beat up a lot of last summer and, you know, it was a roller coaster summer for him. But I think with Connor, if he just goes out and repeats his swing, if he has one swing, if he has one consistent swing with consistent triggers, he doesn't have to tinker all spring because he's trying to find it. If he repeats his swing and, you know, dominates Mississippi baseball, which I think a lot of people expect him to, I think he was the Gatorade player of the year in Mississippi back-to-back years as a sophomore and a junior. Could be wrong on that. You can go At a, at a great school it. for baseball, too. I yeah. Mean, we don't yeah, talk Jackson about that a whole Prep. lot, but Jackson Prep, they're a top 25, 30, so they win the state championship just about every year. Yep. Um you know, if I'm not mistaken, they either they they've either won six in a row 
or six out of the last seven state titles. So they know what they're doing there too. Yeah. And actually speaking on that 2026 class, uh, they've got a six foot seven inch right-handed pitcher, Kevin Roberts Jr. Who is the same way plays outfield. He's a six runner, huge power is up to 92. Like Jackson prep isn't going anywhere, but on the Connor Griffin thing, just show that you have a good feel for your game, a good feel for your swing, the hit tool, the power, all of that's going to play. I think scouts just want to see it in action because it's been a while since he's really just kind of crushed the competition. And he's a position guy only for you. Or do you think about he's a center arm? fielder for me? He's yeah. a center fielder for me. He could pitch. I mean, if, if, if the swing, if, if the hit tool has regressed, um, which I don't think it will, he could be a guy that, you know, Jeremy Booth calls him Jack Flaherty. Um, yeah. I think that's a totally possible outcome. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Very similar athletes. Flaherty didn't, yeah. uh, coming out of high school, did not get the credit for being the athlete he was in some circles. But there you go. So that's 11 guys. We give you a bonus there in Connor Griffin. The, the top 10 college dudes, uh, eight hitters, two pitchers. And then the uh, and then the bonus prep kid who uh, who stands out in center field at six foot four and has big time power and all that athleticism. So interesting, good stuff there. I thought this was a good time to I think go through that uh, at least, and uh, we'll touch on some of this stuff as the the spring, the winter, and spring moves along uh, in the season, uh, and we start getting results and we start seeing how guys are doing. Uh, sometimes statistics lie to us, especially early, but uh, we'll get a decent idea. We'll go back through some of these top one hundred types and. Uh, and essentially ask and try to answer the uh, the same question. All right, let's talk about the majors a little bit. Um, I teased this up top. One of the more fascinating aspects of the game of baseball for me is young players developing. And everybody develops. Players develop at their own pace. Some guys get into the big leagues. I mentioned Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman and guys like sometimes they get into the big leagues and boom, they're good right away. They're good that first year. They stay in the big leagues most or the entire season. And that's just what they are. They're a really good player or a great player. Sometimes it takes a little while, and there are a couple of players that uh, that, that I've been thinking about. I want to get y- your own list too, Joe. There's a, there's a small handful of, of players that have a small taste of the big leagues but haven't put up numbers yet. Maybe the sample is too small. Maybe they've just struggled you know, over a large enough sample, but you know, the idea is can they figure it out? So are there some players that, that they've landed in the big leagues, they have their 40, 60, 80, 100 games, maybe they've played a full season but haven't necessarily performed that well yet that you still really believe in? Uh, I'm thinking there's got to be a couple uh, 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 on the top of your head that kind of fit that category. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind for me is Colton Kowser. You got a pretty big cup of coffee last year, 26 games, 77 plate appearances. Um, you know, the strikeouts have always kind of been a thing for Colton, but – he had 17 homers and nine stolen bases in 2023 at AAA. I think this guy is going to be the full-time left fielder for Baltimore when all is said and done. And I think he's going to be a pretty consistent force. And his teammate Heston Kerstad is kind of the same way. I, Heston missed so much time because of, of heart issues. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of those two. And I think both of them are going to have breakout seasons, especially Kerstad. That guy could be their first baseman of the future. Yeah, Kirsten's a little bit more of a free swinger. I think that would be fair to say. And Kowser's a guy that does actually control the zone and gives himself a, a chance to uh, uh, to hit for average and get on base. Although there is obviously power there. You mentioned the 17 home runs. Um, so Colton Kowser, who else you got? Anybody else kind of stat? There's a lot of Orioles that could be on this list. <laughs> you know, I'll you know. give you one that's a little bit sneaky. I don't know if he's going to be like a like an anchor for a team, but Willier Abreu with with uh, Boston. 
you know, I think he's only got two tools. Like, I think he's just a fire hydrant, you know, first base left field type mm-hmm. of guy. But I watched probably 24 at bats from that guy last year. And he really looks like he's comfortable at the plate. And there's obviously a ton of bat speed. And he did actually I, perform in his he, 85 he did. He was really good. Yeah. I think he could be kind of a dark horse for rookie of the year in the AL. Now, there's obviously guys that are far more distinguished athletes, but I would watch out for Willie or Abreu. He runs okay, doesn't he? Average, He's okay. I mean, average he rolls. Can, he can hang out in, uh, <laughs> in in right or left field, right? I mean, he's not going to play yeah. center, but he doesn't need to move to first or DH right now, right? I mean, what's he, 24 years old? We don't need to, that, that, yeah, no, we don't need to throw that on him. He moves no worse than the Naylor brothers do. <laughs> Which is I'm being not, serious. It's not really saying much. <laughs> no, but they, they run okay, oh, you know, especially boy. underway. They they really get going. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you about another Oriole really quick. Um, Jordan Westberg scouted a report. Um, is there anything about that report, whether your own or someone else's, that tells you he's an everyday player? Because I keep looking at him and thinking, this is this is a part-time player. Because the reason I bring that up is because Westberg seems to be included in a lot of these fan-generated or even media-generated mock trades for Corbin Burns and Dylan Cease. And I just... I cannot see how Westberg is a significant value to, I mean, he can be included in a trade, but if he's one of the best two players, you're not getting Dylan Cease or Corbin Burns. I just don't understand the, uh, uh, what, what folks are missing there. It seems pretty obvious to me that he's got a chance to be an average player, but it's really difficult for me to look at him and say he can play second base and two, okay, he can play third, but he's not going to hit that much. Uh, yeah, I, I think he certainly projects to third base a little bit more than than he does. He's kind of got that tweener profile. Like the guy can really run and he's got a pretty good feel for the middle of the bat, but he chases a lot. His strikeouts are higher than you'd like to see. He's too big for second base and not really rangy enough for second base, but he doesn't hit enough to be like an impact third baseman. Like I think he just kind of falls into a but speaking towards our top prospect lists that come out in a couple of weeks, like he's probably just a roll five, you know, uh, bat at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the lineup on a division winning team puts up two and a half war two two and a half war. I don't think he's anything. Like, I don't think he's a special player, mm-hmm. but I think he can, he's going to provide uh, he's going to provide value. He's not a he's not a sunk cost. If that's what you're sure. asking. Sure. No. Yeah. No, not like that. I was just thinking he's more um, trying to find a, you know, like a, like a fair comp for him um, from a role standpoint. Like, like, I don't know. It, it's and off the top of my head. I can't really, can't really, I don't even think he's as good as a, you Escobar, for example. Oh, that's um, a good call. You know, someone like that. But I, I just think Escobar was just really consistent, you know, hitting for average as long as he was healthy. But, you know, someone like that is the first thing. And, and that's just not a guy that can, if he's one of the best two players in a trade, you're making and you're not taking on a bunch of salary. Like, I just don't see it. I, I guess that's what I'm getting at. I just wanted to kind of check my own, my own thoughts there. I think you're right. Yeah. So when I think about players like that, that just haven't really done it yet, but still have a chance to, I've been having a lot of conversations about uh, how teams are evaluating young players that haven't proven themselves at the big league level. Cause it's really easy for anybody, Joe, I think you'd agree for clubs, for fans, for media, for anywhere in between, for the players themselves to evaluate established players. 
you've been in the league two years and you've raked. That's who you are. You've been in the league 10 years and this is what you've done. I'm holding my hand up to my eyeballs. This is what you've done. Then that's what you are. It's really pretty simple, you know, generally speaking. But no matter what you've done in the minors, no matter how old you are, if you haven't done it in the majors, eh, you know, I'm shrugging my shoulders now because we just don't yeah. really know, you know, what you are. We think we have an idea what you're capable of, but can you actually execute? And in a lot of my conversations recently, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, clubs, there are, there are a handful of teams, and I know two in particular, that are trying to simplify their hitter evaluation and projection systems. And one way they're doing that is trying to simplify the data they use and leaning a little more heavily toward the standard, the basic batted ball data, stuff that we think of as hard hit rates, barrel rates, um, general contact rates, uh, how much do they swing and miss, um, things of that nature. Not just strike out, but swing and miss. A lot mm -hmm. of times there are guys that swing and miss a lot, but don't strike out because then because they have a two strike approach that actually works for them. It's a little rarer these days than it used to be. But then there are a lot of guys that don't strike out a lot but also swing and or, or that's you know, don't swing and miss a lot but still strike out. Um it, it's kind of weird to look at that data. But in these conversations I I came up with four or five names that I see I still see the potential that these guys had when they were prospects. And there's no reason any, but this isn't about like, don't give up on these guys because nobody's given up on these guys. In fact, you're probably still, if you're a fan of one of these teams, you're probably still absolutely still excited about these guys. I'm just saying you absolutely should be. And that these four or five players stand out as, you know, these types of players that in their short stints at the big league level of varying degrees have put up the batted ball data that some clubs are starting to value a little more. And it's the basic stuff that you or I look at at fan graphs. Um, Ellie De La Cruz is probably the name that stands out the most because he got so much attention. Uh, he's an electric athlete. We know he chases and we know he strikes out a metric F ton. And we know that's the biggest issue, but the batted ball data is pretty crazy. And when he does make contact, it's nuts. So this is the Nelson Cruz approach. You're not going to make contact a lot. It needs to get better but you're not going to make contact a lot. You're not going to be an 85% guy. You're not going to knock that, that strikeout rate down to, to 18, 20, 22%. You're not going to be that guy. Just maximize when you do. And he seems to be, you know, that guy. and he's still really young and we know what kind of, what kind of athlete he is. It's just a matter of experience. Um, two New York Mets stood out when, when I did a little research, Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty um, for Vientos. De La Cruz and and uh, and Gabe Arias from Cleveland is another one, uh, and to a lesser extent, uh, Henry Davis in Pittsburgh and Brett Beatty. That was my full list. The contact issue. There's there's some level of contact issue there, you know, at mm -hmm. least in in the results. But Beatty and Davis have acceptable chase rates already in their small sample at the big league level, giving you, you know, when you watch their plate appearance, you're not like, whoa, this guy's flailing at things. Um, that really did not happen. De La Cruz maybe a little bit. Um, I think the biggest thing with Vientos and, uh, and Arias for me was there was some swing and miss on fastballs that you don't really like to see, um, just a little bit. And again, this is a small sample, but there's also murdering fastballs. So I would hold out lots of hope for these guys. The one that really surprised me that kind of matched up here is a guy we saw here in Seattle in Dom Canzone because he was never a top prospect, uh, like the others were, um, has a really strange set of metrics because kind of what we were getting at earlier with some of the college guys, Joe, 
Dom Canzone's chase rate in his small sample in the at the big league level was enormous. It was over yeah. 40. I think it was 44%. But his strikeout rate was the best of all these players we just mentioned. Um, you know, and, and that goes to show that there are varying degrees of what that chase rate actually means because is he chasing eight inches off the plate? No, he's he's actually not. And is he making hard contact when he does? Yes, yes, he is. So you can ignore a little bit of that. I'm just like Canzone was really interesting, but all of these these data points suggest there's been some small sample weirdness, um, and that with Canzone that maybe he extends the strike zone to a lesser degree than those other guys and just hasn't learned to make the best of it yet. But all of these guys, like in watching these at bats, I think I probably watched five to 10 at bats of all of these guys. And I came away somewhat excited to, to talk about this because even a guy like Vientos who has the big swing and miss in his history, even a guy like Ellie De La Cruz, who it's easy to get excited about because of the, the, you know, the electric athleticism and the bat speed and all that good stuff. Um, but Brett Beatty, like this is a guy who it would not surprise me if he had 270 with 20 homers this year would not surprise oh, yeah. me. At all, it would not surprise me if Vientos hit 240, 320 with twenty five homers this year. It wouldn't absolutely not surprise me at all. And I don't think I've ever really lost the luster from uh, from Henry Davis as a bat. I don't think I really ever. I think he's the same exact guy, and there's no reason, there's nothing in his results from last year, considering the batted ball data, uh, that suggests if you're a Pirates fan and you were excited about Henry Davis, that you shouldn't still be pretty excited about Henry Davis. Nobody's saying he's going to be a superstar. None of these guys are necessarily going to be superstars, although a couple of them might have all-stars uh, in their future. I just thought it was really strange that using the same parameters, Dom Canzone was one of the names that came up. Just so strange. I noticed that uh, a couple weeks back, too. I was talking to a good friend of the show, Oliver Bochter, and he was asking me what I think, and I hadn't looked at uh, at Canzone's numbers in a while, and I, I said, you know, his strikeout rate's pretty low. I'm pretty excited to see what he can do. And he goes, it's a forty something percent chase rate. Like this is terrible. I said, mm-hmm. I don't know how he managed to do that, but that's pretty that's pretty alarming. He's yeah. Here's the thing with all these guys, Jason, and I, I think you would agree. They have to be in a situation where they're getting consistent at bats. Mm-hmm. I mean. David Stearns being hired by the New York Mets is the best thing that could have happened to Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos' career. Because you know what? I don't think the team is expecting to win 98 games this year, and they need their top prospects to get at-bats. Another guy you didn't talk about who unfortunately won't get to play this year is Rony Mauricio. Mm. Like in flashes, yeah, the metrics are a little bit scary, but the athleticism and the peaks... You know, his best bolt, both running and hitting, like, it's enormous. You know, he's right up there with Ellie De La Cruz and O'Neill Cruz. And, like, it's 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 phenomenal tools. So we need to see these guys actually get on the field. Kudos. I, just, I didn't agree with, and I don't know if you're going to bring this guy up, I did not agree with the New York Yankees starting the year with Anthony Volpe as their starting shortstop. Um, I do want to ask you about Volpe. Yeah. You didn't but, agree with him starting the year as, you, you didn't think he should have been on the team to start the year? No. No, because, okay. I mean, it was a cup of coffee at AAA. Mm-hmm. Strikeout rate was high mm-hmm. at the minor league level. And I think the Yankees were chasing the PPI pick a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I can see But that. kudos to the Yankees, man. I mean, they didn't they didn't shy away from him. They let the kid just 
you know, grind through it all season. And I think that's what you need to see from Brett Beatty this year in New York. And you need to see that from Dom Canzone in Seattle. These guys need to get 450 plate appearances so we know what they are. Yeah. Volpe did hit the 21 home runs that you thought he could, not a big guy, but you thought he could hit 18, 20, maybe even 25 in his peak. He hit 21 in his rookie year, yeah. but he hit 209 with a 283 OBP and a 28% strikeout rate, like you mentioned. So he did struggle to hit in general. Do you still think there's all-star future there for Volpe? You still think he's that caliber of a, of a player potentially? I don't know, man. It kind of depends on how all-star votes go. Like, I don't think Volpe's ever going to hit. I mean, just, I mean, just of... that caliber. You know, who cares about if he ever actually makes an all-star team, but just that caliber? You still see that? Uh, so personally, you seem, to be I never, more, you seem to be borderline on that at best. I've never really seen Anthony Volpe as an all-star level bat. He's okay. always had the same concerns every single year at every rung of the ladder. Now playing in New York, is there a year where he could be the best shortstop, the best defensive shortstop on January or July 10th with, you know, 20 home runs at the break and he makes the mm-hmm. all-star game? Sure. But mm-hmm. I just, I don't see a guy that's going to hit north of, you know, 250 or 255 in any given year. Yeah, the only year he, well, I guess two years down in the minors where he got 250 plate appearances, and it was in the same season, split between A ball and high A. Got 257 plate appearances, 256 plate appearances. He was 20 years old, and he hit 302 and 286 with good OBPs and good power numbers. That was the only time where he put up uh, batting average, like legitimate, you know, higher ranked, uh, higher echelon batting average. And double A was okay. 251, 348, 472. But at 21 years old in double A, if he's going to be your starting shortstop in 2022, you'd like to see better double A numbers than that. Like we've ex- yeah. we've seen the last five to eight years, Joe, double A is not a good barometer for what a player is going to be able to do at the big league level the next year. Like that's that doesn't work anymore. We've seen teams, including the one that's closest to us, back off on how aggressive they were with promoting hitters directly from, uh, from double A. Although... You know, Volpe did get, what, 99 plate appearances in AAA uh, to end 2022. So maybe they saw what they needed to see there. But uh, obviously, I thought it was very interesting that the Yankees were trying to compete last year. Volpe was terrible, and they kept him up. He played 158 games or something. Like, it, it was really interesting that they that they did that. And, and uh, it's not like he had a great – Got a, it's not like he had like a great split for him, you know, going either like, well, he's mashing lefties at least. Like, sure, he was better against lefties than righties, but I think he had 248 with with very little power against uh, left-handed batters. But uh, he didn't hit at home. He didn't hit away. He didn't really hit lefties. He didn't really hit righties. Yeah. Um, you know, he had one month where you could say he was actually good, and that was June. You know, maybe August as well, but every other month, like September, October, he had a buck sixty. Like the final 30 games of the year, he had a buck 60 and they never he was still like team. a, he was still like a two, was, was he a two, two win player? He was a two win guy. 1.9. All yeah. of it. I bet. Well, I mean, I guess he stole some bases and he hit some homers. So maybe not all of it came from the glove, but you know, the glove did some heavy lifting there. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the better defensive. Talk stars. about another guy though. That's, you know, five foot eight, five foot nine. And, uh, you know, producing enough bat speed to be at least, it's probably solid average raw power, average raw power. In Volpe? Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe above average. I mean, you get to the big leagues in year one at 22 years old and you hit 21 home runs, I'm buying it. I'm buying the power. Yeah. Yeah. I'm buying the power. Imagine if that it, everything is the same, but he hits 240. It's 25 homers. 
Yeah. Everything's the same, but he is 240. That's the tough part, though. Keeping the power there while making the adjustments that allow you to hit 30 points higher than you actually did. That's the key here. Right. He's still question. young. He could turn a corner and we could absolutely I could throw. Yeah. He could hit 260. But my but whole you, thing is you never I'm, bought the big high ceiling anyway, though. You're not really no, saying I, he can't be something. You're you're saying, you know, you're not taking the rookie year and going, well, I'm off him now. You just were quite as high on him as other. He's folks just were. never shown at any level unless you include just a ball. He's just never mm-hmm. shown up. Uh, the polish and yep. and the ability to put the game in motion that I like to buy into, yeah. despite the physical tools that are are clearly special. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Yeah, maybe it'll just take a little time. So another guy I wanted to ask you about, Sal Freilich in Milwaukee. He got uh, he didn't get the whole season like Volpe got. Uh, he played fifty seven games for the Brewers, but kind of the opposite. Um, looked pretty good in his fifty seven games. It's it's the antithesis of Volpe at the plate. Made contact, drew walks. Hit 246 with a 341 OBP, but stayed true to his scouting report and just didn't hit for a lot of lot of power. It's a hit over power, you know, skill set. It's a hit over power career that we're probably looking at. Not that he's going to be a three homer a year guy or anything. He'd probably hit 10 or 15, I'd imagine. But where are you with Sal Freilich moving forward? Because if you're a Milwaukee Brewers fan, anybody with control years left, you're interested in right now because they're pretty much cleaning house there. Yeah, I love Sal Freilich. I, you know, he's not a player that's ever going to really impact the game like like you know some of the other guys that we've mentioned, but he's always going to put the ball in play. He's always going to put the game in motion. He's probably not going to ever hit, you know, you mentioned 15, like I, I would think he's maybe peaks at 12 homers. It's a really short swing. It's compact. It's there's not a huge amount of like pure bat speed, but um, I was a huge fan. Like I really wanted to see South Relic in a Mariners uniform in 2021 when that draft was, because I thought he could play second base. And I think this whole profile plays a little bit better at second base than it does in the field. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, like he goes the opposite way. I think he needs to improve his ability to handle breaking pitches and off-speed pitches. And that usually comes in year two, year three in pro, uh, professional baseball. But um yeah, like I, I think he's ultimately going to be a guy that hits 270, 275 and mm. certainly steals more bases and and is a bigger threat on the base paths than what he showed this year. He had just three homers, but it was just, uh, you know, 191 at bats, 223 plate appearances. If you triple that, that's a nine homer rookie season. It's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Not so bad. I like your 12. Uh, I could see him getting to 15, but I like your 12. I'd, I'd feel yeah. safer saying 10 to 12 there. Uh, 57 game sample for Freilich. 20, be 24 years old in uh, in April. So really early in the year. So uh, he should be part of that. Uh, like you said, he's, he's not one of those guys where you think of, okay, we need, we need to build this core. He's probably not one of those guys, but he's a guy you look around and he's either the leadoff guy or like the eight, nine hitter. And is like yep. this steady performer that kind of every team sort of has one of those guys. And you look up one day and you're like, man, South Freelick is actually pretty good. Um, interesting. Yeah, uh, bat him ninth and just, you know, put the guys in the one, two, and three hole in a situation where maybe they get more pitches to hit because South Freelick is on base. Yeah. And he makes a lot of contact already. So um, mm-hmm. that's a good, uh, good industry. And it's a profile that the league is starting to value again more than it did like maybe the last five to 10 years with the, uh, with all the strikeouts and all the home runs and everybody kind of selling out for uh for all that backspin we keep talking about joe uh interesting south a couple of guys that aren't big aren't necessarily home run hitting guys certainly Freilich's not but volpe's not necessarily a guy we would think of as a home running guy but are exact opposite neither guy is very big oh, yeah. very similar in size at, le- at least in terms of weight but completely different guys 
at the plate, at least uh, to this point in their uh, professional career. Uh, next week, Joe, I want to talk about Blake Snell. Uh, we teased it at the top, but uh, we'll do that next week. Blake Snell is still on the free agent market. And I think I think it's going to surprise some people. And, and I'll call it my opinion. I got some hints thrown my way about why that is. So if Blake Snell is still a free agent. Maybe we'll talk about this even if he signs somewhere. Uh, but we'll talk about Blake Snell uh, next week. Get your take on uh, why he's on the market and where the best uh, fit is. There's a couple of really interesting clubs that have been included in uh, in the buzz reports that we get out there from trade rumors and uh, the newsbreakers of the world that are uh, kind of rumor mongering these days on uh, on social media. But uh, uh, there's six teams in on Blake Snell, and two of them, I don't want to say they don't make sense. They're just surprising considering what those teams have done to date with uh, with their rosters. But uh, good stuff today. Appreciate it. Lots of draft stuff. Uh, Got to be rubbing your hands. Is it this the point of year for you, Joe, where – you look for the breaks because, and I'm telling on myself a little bit, because what I tend to, what I tend to do this time of year, we're about three weeks from uh, D1 baseball opening day. I start looking at schedules and start planning local trips, start thinking about other trips I'm making for the reasons where I can sneak in a game or two here and there and see a player here or two and there. But I'm also looking at what do I need to subscribe to <laughs> So I can stream these games. <laughs> that's kind of what seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's a man. Like there are so many services. Like it's time to re up that ESPN Plus subscription that I won't <laughs> use for any other reason. Exactly. Exactly. That's where I am too. Um, I think I have that because I bundled it with Hulu. But other than that, I'm yeah. like, okay, I got to make sure I have this. It's not going to run out on me. What games are going to be on, you know, this network and that network? And and uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. This. Uh, this time of year. So cool. Uh, appreciate your time. Check out futurestarseries.com for all of Joe's stuff. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Doyle, M I L B. I think it's there on the screen. I can't see the screen. Is that your, is that maybe? Your, is that there maybe on the see. screen? Yeah, it we'll looks share, right. We'll, we'll share what. We'll if share it's not over. mine, you know, kudos to the subscription for other people. Just, just, <laughs> just follow whatever, uh, whatever Joe has on the screen. I'm at Prospect Insider. If you care, Joe, we'll talk next week. Thanks, man. Cheers. This has been the FSS Plus Podcast. So just chill to the next episode.